News Talk Radio CJAD 800 presents the CEO Series. Insights from top business leaders. Your host is Carl Moore. Welcome to the CEO Series. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University. The CEO Series takes you inside our capstone MBA class at McGill. Each week we sit down with some of Canada and indeed the world's top leaders. Some of the world's top leaders have spent time with us, like Justin Trudeau, Mohamed Yunus, Nobel Peace Prize winner, and Joanne Liu, former international president of Doctors Without Borders. This show gives you a thin, well, perhaps not so thin slice, the kind of thoughtful leaders our McGill MBAs are exposed to. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking with Jean-Christophe Bedos, president and CEO of the luxury jeweler retailer Maison Burks. Thank you, Jean-Christophe, for joining us today. So, Jean-Christophe... Tell us about your early years. Where did you grow up and what did your family do for a living? Well, my, my father was actually um, a, a judge, a French judge, and uh, he was um, posted in Morocco by the French government for a number of years. And um, this is where he was living with my mother uh, when I was born. So I had the privilege to be born in Morocco, having no re- relationship at all with, the, with the, the country, which is absolutely fabulous and beautiful. But we originally come from the southwest of France, and after Morocco, my parents came back to France, and this, uh, I, I grew up in, in Toulouse, um, which is, um, which is a, a, a great place where I spent my years from the age of six to approximately 20 years old. So that's where I grew up. Do you remember Morocco a bit? Uh, yeah, a bit. We've been back since. You're listening to Jean-Christophe Bedos, CEO of Maison Burks. At that time, Morocco was uh, associated with France, so a judge would go be sent by the French government to Morocco. Yeah, my, and my, my father was, uh, was originally a, a judge there, but then he was assigned to training Moroccan judges uh, because uh, uh, Morocco had gone through, their, through its independence. Uh, it, was, it was not a colony as such, it was called a protectorate from, from France. So France was collaborating and supporting uh, uh, the Moroccan administration. And that, uh, as far as the legal system was concerned, that my father was contributing to, uh, to making Morocco um, a better place. Why not be a lawyer? I studied law. I actually, um, I actually studied law uh, together with business because I, I hesitated. I didn't know really what I wanted to do. Uh, so um, it, when in doubt, I decided to choose both, uh, which is unusual in, in, uh, in France, but I, I, I organized myself and I enjoyed both actually uh, very much. And I started studying uh, at Toulouse Business School and uh, and the University of Law in, in Toulouse, and then uh, after a couple of years, I I took advantage of an exchange program. I, I, I went to the UK. I went to Nottingham and studied uh, business uh, at Trent University, and um, then uh, in order to keep my legal studies. Uh, you know, moving, I moved to actually La Sorbonne in Paris. They have, there was at the time, I'm talking here about the late 80s, uh, it was the only uh, program in France um, that had implemented a distance learning. Um, so, so I, thanks to that system, I uh, studied law at um, 
Sorbonne in Paris. It was not very elaborate. You you would you would have your books and you would receive the uh, tapes, uh, you know, the cassettes uh, to listen to lectures and seminars. So uh, that that's what I I did in the evening after my legal classes. Most of the students in uh, Nottingham would go to the pub, which is uh, normal with uh, student life. But I I enjoyed law so much. It, I, I I thought it was so intellectually stimulating. I really enjoyed studying law in the evening, listening to my tapes. But it's interesting because it's almost a precursor to today's studying by Zoom. What you missed is that, you know, the Sorbonne is one of the world's great universities, but you didn't have any buddies there. You didn't go out drinking or dating with anyone. You were stuck in Nottingham. So it's almost, it's almost like what our, our students might be doing today. Well, it sounds like I was a nerd, but I don't feel I was. You know, I was just, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was enjoying social life as well. It's just, it was just a question of organization for me. Probably I was sleeping less hours than other students. So in Toulouse, do you have a different accent than Paris or Lyon, other parts of France? Yes. You know, every part in France have their own accent. We have a, what is generally called southwestern accent, uh, which is probably more singing than other parts. You know, it's quite pleasant. It's, it's probably equivalent to what the Scottish accent could be for, for, for British people. I, if you have a call center in the UK, if you set it up in, in Scotland, you know that you will have a friendly, uh, a, a friendly relationship with a person on the line. Have you lost your accent? Do you have more of a Parisian kind of a... I can speak a flat French accent, but uh, don't provoke me. I can have a very heavy Toulouse accent, <laughs> which which is uh, which can be funny. So, did you go into law, or what? What was your first job after university? After my business studies, I I actually went from Nottingham to Paris because I had, and that was uh, mandatory at the time. In order to finish the law degree at Sorbonne, you had to do the final year, the master's degree. Um, you had to be physically present. So I, I went to Paris. I had completed my uh, business studies. And my last year at university was just dedicated to law, uh, which um, uh, in order to pay for my uh, room in Paris, I, I had to find a job. And I, I found, coincidentally, uh, a student placement job at Cartier International, which was the Cartier head office, where I was working part time every morning. Uh, doing statistics for them, and in the uh, afternoon I, I was uh, I was going to uh, to university to study law and finish my degree. Um, and a year after, once I had um, uh, completed my law degree, Cartier offered me a job. That's how, by coincidence, I started in the, the luxury goods industry. You're listening to the CEO series. I'm Carl Moore from Miguel. I'm speaking with Jean-Christophe Bedos, CEO of Maison Burks. Jean-Christophe, you're very cool. You did early Zoom and you did big data. Decades before my students have got into that. So you're very, you're very cool, evidently. Why not law? Why did you decide to pivot to luxury goods and not go into law as your father had done as a judge, etc.? I could have done, frankly. But my, my father was a lawyer. My eldest brother... I studied law in France and also moved internationally. He, he, he did a, a law degree at Harvard Law School in Boston, and uh, and was uh, he was a, for me 
my, my eldest brother is eight years older than me. I, I always admired what he was doing, and I could have gone law. Just um, by accident, I fell in love with um, what I was doing at Cartier, and when they offered me a job, I didn't think twice about it. I thought it was it was kind of cool to take a job. Little did I know that I would never, uh, you know, turn back and uh, and reconsider my life. Uh, I've been happy since. Clearly, you're a leader today as CEO of Burks. When when did you start thinking that you might be a leader? What was your first leadership role where it occurred to you go, maybe I could lead? I don't think I I was planning to be a leader in business uh, and professionally. But but that, this is a very good question, frankly, Carl. I, I, when I was a kid, I was class representative. Uh, I was elected class representative every year. Um, and uh, I started to play rugby when I, because when you are from Toulouse, you have to play rugby. There is no option. It's like uh, if you are in Montreal, if you grow up in Montreal and don't play hockey, you're a loser. In Toulouse, in Toulouse you have to play rugby, otherwise you're a loser. So I played rugby and I loved it. And I was, uh, you know, I was young and it was, it was, there was nothing important, but I was captain of my team. And, uh, and I enjoyed it. It was... Um, you know, it, it was something that I, that came naturally, maybe. Um, I never reflected on that, but, but taking care of people uh, uh, was, was really important to me. We're speaking with Jean-Christophe Bedos, CEO of Burks. Coming up, we'll discuss the devastating impact of COVID-19 on the luxury goods industry. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. You're listening to the CEO Series with Carl Moore on News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Hello again, I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. We're speaking with Jean-Christophe Bedos, CEO of the luxury jewelry retailer, Burks. Jean-Christophe, in your long career, have you ever experienced a crisis like COVID-19? Never, and I don't think anyone has. This is totally unprecedented. The first crisis I experienced professionally, professionally was in the early 90s when we had the Iraqi war and um, the luxury goods industry because, of course, it, that war affected the Middle East and the Middle East is, is a very strong territory for luxury goods. We moved to a, a crisis management mode at Cartier International where I was posted. That's the first memory I have of crisis management. But nothing compared to what we are experiencing today. Nothing. When did you choose to close the Burke stores? Was there a specific date where you said, ladies and gentlemen, we have to shut them down? Frankly, we didn't choose. We, we followed public, you know, authorities' instructions. On the, on the 18th of March, that's when we gave instructions to all our stores to lock down. It happened very quickly. And we didn't think twice about it. We we thought it was going to be for a couple of weeks. Um, and um, uh, you know, I, I went back to visit some stores, and, and including our head office. The, 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 your question just um, reminds me of uh, two weeks ago. I went I went to see our head office because we had I hadn't been there, you know, for nearly three months. And I realized when I went through the open space we have in, in the head office in Montreal, how sudden everything was. Because I saw packets of biscuits on, on, on desks, uh, some jumpers, 
on the back of the chairs, water bottles um, closed or open, as if something sudden had happened and people had disappeared from the ghost town and never came back. That was quite eerie. Uh, so this is just to describe how everything happened very soon and we didn't think twice about it. There was very little preparation. Did you set up a war room fairly quickly after to get your top people together and say, what's the way forward from here? Yes, we. Uh, I, I was very uh, privileged. First of all, we moved to uh, um, video uh, conferencing on a daily basis. We had a daily meeting, seven days a week, uh, with uh, my senior management team and a few additions of, of key people. So it's eight of us. Uh, meeting every day uh, since um, the 18th of March. Um, so that's that's our crisis management team. Eight weeks after the lockdown uh, started, we we created another uh, team called the after COVID management team in order to plan for the reopening of stores and the re- reopening of of the head office in order to create all the protocols and the training packages for all the employees that we would call, call back to return to business. Were they two different teams or was it a lot of overlap? There was a lot of overlap, about, about 50% of overlap. But it, it's the forward looking, which is interesting. Um, did sales really fall off a cliff when you close the stores or was there some business online? What, what we decided to do immediately, uh, and I'm glad we did, we set up two systems. One is, uh, of course, we, we enforced our e-commerce team uh, because e-commerce sales went through the roof for us. When I say through the roof, is not um, in dollar terms, but in percentage growth terms. Um, we more than doubled our sales in e-commerce uh, compared to the same period last year. So the, our, our e-commerce team needed support. But the other initiative we took, we created what we call the concierge service for clients who, some of them are VIP clients, who regardless of lockdown need to be serviced. And we selected our top five stores and behind closed doors, we had three employees per store working full time to actually manage the inventory and go back to the old mail order service. You're listening to Jean-Christophe Bedos, CEO of Maison Burks. Thank goodness that FedEx and the Canada Post, et cetera, kept working because it really allowed your business. But, but when you look at online sales as a small percentage of your overall sales. Absolutely, yeah. You know, one thing, one thing that the luxury goods industry learned during this period, and probably overall the retail industry, is um, it was almost like a best, the best possible business case, laboratory case for e-commerce. Because imagine imagine a, 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 a business case where you decide to close every single bricks and mortar outlet um, and let and observe what happens with e-commerce. Of course, e-commerce grew very fast, but it didn't replace bricks and mortar. I don't know any retailer anywhere in the world who, is ha- who has realized that e-commerce was taking over from bri- bricks and mortar. So the big lesson from this uh, crisis is actually 
that uh, bricks and mortar retail is not dead. It's not the apocalypse of, of, of retail. Um, I, I believe that the solution is with omnichannel uh, and a, a good and smart combination between bricks and mortar and e-commerce, definitely, um, is what we learned from this crisis. So online is growing. It's grown a lot, but you're still saying bricks and mortars. Is that particularly in the luxury good or are you saying you think it's true in other retail sectors as well? Well, it's true for luxury goods, but I, I, I realized by talking with colleagues that uh, it's also true for other industries, other industries. And, uh, and um, in the luxury goods, you know, I mean, depending on what category of luxury goods we talk about, we, we are specialized in what is commonly called hard luxury, which is essentially jewelry and watches. But you also have a, a soft luxury goods that includes uh, um, alcohol, uh, uh, fashion, fragrance, soft products, um, and also a, a, a very uh, uh, strong segment of the luxury good industry is the experiential luxury with hotels and spas and resorts, everything related to travel. In, in our case, of, we, I specifically observe what's happening in the hard luxury goods industry. And I, and I believe we have been less affected than experiential luxury and, and, and soft luxury, like especially fashion. You're listening to the CEO Series. I'm Carl Moore from Miguel. I'm speaking with Jean-Christophe Bedos, CEO of Maison Burks. How many stores does Burks have currently? We have 30 stores in Canada. Any in the U.S. or just Canada? No, in the U.S. we have uh, stores selling the Burks jewelry brand but they, we, we don't own those stores. How many employees would there be in the 30 stores when they're all up and running again? Altogether, with our head office, we have about 350 employees. So you didn't let, have to lay off too many people? We did lay off many people. We had no choice. We had, we had 90% of our employees were uh, temporarily laid off. Did the government programs help them? Yes. That was good from a social standpoint, but... Um, that, that was positive, uh, uh, that was a, a safety net from a social uh, uh, consideration, but people need to work. They, they, they really, you know, the, the, the CERB pro program uh, uh, has prov been so generous that, that some people prefer to stay at home than work. We heard that. It's not true. Frankly, the nature of human beings is that they want to feel useful. They want to feel needed. And in our case at Berks, all I heard was people saying, don't pay me, but give me, a, give me something to do. And the need to work, the need to feel, to feel needed was much higher than the few cases that we may have heard about people wanting to stay at home doing nothing. We're speaking with Jean-Christophe Bedos, CEO of the luxury jewelry retailer Burks. Up next, we'll talk about his approach to leadership during this time of crisis. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. This is the CEO Series with Carl Moore on News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Hello again, I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. We're speaking today with Jean-Christophe Bedos, CEO of luxury jewelry retailer Burks. What is luxury? 
What, what is a luxury good? What makes it a luxury good as opposed to Dollarama? It's the aspiration. It's um, it's uh, the appreciation. It's uh, it's uh, very, something very deeply embedded in human beings, which is the need to create a, and to manifest a token of love, um, appreciation, pride, success, and in terms of in economic terms, it could, if you could create a formula, I, I, I think that. Uh, the desirability of the product always has to be high. The desirability for the product justifies the margin, the, justifies the intangible value of the product. So in the luxury good industry, there is this formula, this ratio, where availability has to be lower than desirability. So the, the luxury product, generally speaking, is not very available. There is an excess of desirability. That's what we call exclusivity in our industry. There are a lot of intangibles in our industry. So how do you manage to find the employees that have the right attitude at Burke's, that they reinforce the Burke's brand and the atmosphere and the essence of Burke's, which we see in the blue box, that's a very famous Canadian symbol. How do you find the right employees to reflect that? It's a very tricky question uh, because uh, it's not um, a talent related to the CV. You can, you can have a very successful um, uh, individual from an academic standpoint, but the attitude is very important. And I believe that empathy is extremely important. You have to care a lot for people especially if you work in the sales division or close to the sales division. You have always have to serve someone and want to please. Sometimes you don't teach it. Sometimes you can't teach it. We, do, we invest a lot in training. You know, it's, it's very much like, uh, like the service industry uh, in uh, um, hotel and restaurants. Um, you know, a, a, you can't replace a good waiter. Do you ever go to the counter and for a few days a year work with clients just to keep your hand in the game? I used to, and I, 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 I visit stores a lot. Um, I, I try to be close to the team and listen to them. Um, but unfortunately, in my current job, I don't, um, I don't service clients anymore. You're listening to the CEO Series. I'm Carl Moore from Miguel. I'm speaking with Jean-Christophe Bedos, CEO of Maison Burks. What is your biggest revenue store in the country? Is it in Toronto, Calgary, Montreal? Where, where is the what, couple stores that are the biggest revenue producers? We have three, uh, what we call the flagship stores. Montreal, uh, on, on the corner of uh, Philippe Square and St. Catherine Street. We have uh, Toronto um, on the corner of Blow and Bay. Calgary on, in a TD Square mall, and we have uh, in Vancouver on West Hastings um, our Western flagship store. How does a crisis like this affect one's leadership and how you think about leadership? What have you learned during the crisis, Jean-Christophe? This crisis, Carl, has been a very challenging moment for not just Burks for many, many industries and many CEOs. Nothing like this um, could be 
uh, anticipated. Uh, we don't learn this in business schools, and there is no book yet about a crisis like this. Uh, I have found it not only very stressful, but very challenging from an intellectual standpoint, where we have to be creative, very agile, very adaptable. We learn as we, as we do things in a under a crisis like this. It was challenging from an emotional standpoint. It was challenging from a, from a psychological standpoint, just managing relationships with people. People are not used to working from home um, and, and uh, having to handle stress, high, very high levels of stress by themselves behind their telephone or behind their screen. Um, so if you ask me in a few years from now, I will say I have enjoyed it a lot. But uh, experiencing the moment was not very enjoyable. Um, I was very lucky to have a fabulous team with me. That, that in fact, saved us. We were very, very close together. Seems like empathy, I think you mentioned earlier, is one of the really important things during the crisis. How did you display empathy to your staff and particularly to your direct reports? First of all, we met every day with my team. We had two teams, one crisis management team and, uh, and one team that we called after COVID, which was managing the anticipation once we uh, returned to business. The, the, the way we were managing our meetings was no agenda, no minutes taken. So extremely informal, where there was room for jokes and debates, conversations, um, taking care of people. We spent a lot of time talking. We felt very close in spite of the distance because everyone was at home behind the screen. Another initiative that I took very early on uh, and I was supported by my team was actually to connect directly with every single employees of the company, which had not been done before. We never do that when we work under normal circumstances. But we created a weekly webinar with the CEO. That was called the weekly webinar every Thursday with the CEO, where the entire company, 350 people, could connect and listen to what I, the update I was giving them on a weekly basis, followed by a Q&A session, which was unprepared, not scripted, where I was directly answering the question from anyone at any moment in time, any question. We, I wanted to take that risk because it was a risk um, to be to face uh, every possible individual, every employee from the company. Because, and I think we can talk about empathy there. there. Some people, Carl, in our industry, in the retail industry, it's made of many different people from many different backgrounds. Some have education, some don't. Some are uh, senior, some are junior. Some uh, live in a 500 square, square feet condo with a spouse and two or three children. We had to take care of these people. I was made aware that some of our young professionals had children under the age of five or four at home to take care of them and they didn't know what to do and they were turning crazy. So creating a weekly connection 
with them was the moment of truth where they could actually feel a sense of belonging to the company they felt taken care of. It's not by sending memos that you take care of people. They had to see my face and they had to see how ready I was to be unprepared and answer their concerns. Um, and it had to come directly from the top. So the objective of, the, of those weekly webinars were to be as authentic and as genuine as possible. Um, we actually kept a, a lot of, uh, of, of um, uh, people going uh, during that period. What role did the board of directors play during the crisis? Were they quite active in, in the way forward? I count, I count myself lucky. We have, we have a very senior board, very experienced. And one thing that we had was a very close collaboration. I was writing to them extremely uh, regularly keeping them updated of, on, on, on management's decisions and initiatives. Sometimes we felt we improvised, but you know what, you have no choice. But I count myself lucky because our board was not at all confrontational or toxic or nervous. On average, we probably have met once a, once a month, which is, uh, uh, you know, by comparison with many other companies, is not a lot. But I felt a very strong support uh, and trust in management. We're speaking with Jean-Christophe Bedos, CEO of Burks. Up next, we'll talk about his work-life balance during this pandemic. I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. You're listening to the CEO Series with Carl Moore on News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Hello again, I'm Carl Moore from McGill University, and you're listening to the CEO Series. We're speaking with Jean-Christophe Bedos, CEO of Burks. Your value chain comes from all over the world. Did you have shortages from uh, supplies of your value chain bringing products to Canada? Well, to a certain extent, a lot of those products were not needed because our stores were closed. Um, a lot of the products, um, most of the products we sell come from Europe. Uh, the watches come from Switzerland, um, which is uh, the, the, the hub of uh, the luxury uh, watch industry. Uh, jewelry comes from uh, France and Italy, essentially. A lot of the production centers, workshops and factories were closed in Europe. Um, but we didn't have a significant shortage of, uh, of goods. We didn't experience um, a, a break in the supply chain. That's very different from other industries like, for example, the, the fashion industry, which I know have had, had a significant systemic issues with their supply chain. It's not the case in the watch and jewelry industry. Jean-Christophe, how old are your kids? I have four kids between the age of 23 and 13. So how many are at home with you and your wife during the lockdown? Three of them doing uh, schooling from home. So how mad was it in your household? Surprisingly, not mad at all. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's a great surprise because um, um, we actually bought a, a, a laptop computers um, for our uh, kids to do their schooling um, on week one of the lockdown and their school have been extremely well organized. They had uh, their uh, lessons and webi via webinar format. They had uh, uh, 
group work, they had homework, they had tests online, and uh, they have been extremely quiet. I suspect that some of that time was not just spent studying. Nevertheless, it was very quiet. Um, I asked one of my one of my boys, uh, who's 13 year old, you know, what he does all day long because I don't hear him. I was getting worried, and he said I watch documentaries. So uh, <laughs> that was... were you or your wife involved in part of their schooling, or were they fairly self-propelled? No, I mean we 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 are lucky. I mean, frankly, our children are uh, uh, you know teenagers, uh, adolescents. I I really count myself lucky uh, because um, I can I can't. I can't imagine how parents with small children uh, in, in primary school or kindergarten, how they have coped during that, that period of time. You know, grandparents were not allowed to see their grandchildren. Parents had to stay at home with sometimes babies all day long. How do you, how do you cope? I don't know. I, I have profound admiration for the families who are, you know, still together after three months. You're listening to Jean-Christophe Bedos, CEO of Maison Burks. Are you working more because you're working from home than you would on your normal routine? This is a very good question. In terms of um, organization, uh, we did learn a lot. And this is one of the, one of the traps, I think, from uh, uh, working from home. You start working more. You start letting almost like an octopus, you're letting your business life taking over with its, its tentacles. You get up in the morning, you switch off the computer, it's so easy, you check your emails. You know, lunchtime comes and uh, you are doing something, so you keep doing the same thing and you have a little bite uh, by the computer. And in the evening, you don't, you don't, after dinner, you just check again. Thank God my wife is extremely disciplined and she imposed uh, what she called the detox moments, where I was not allowed to touch neither my mobile phone nor my co computer. And um, very quickly, I told my team, you need to have a discipline. We need to impose a discipline on ourselves. Do cardio, do meditation, yoga. There are hundreds of courses online uh, uh, in order to, to relax and let go. And uh, it's only through a, a very strict discipline that you can work from home. What's your exercise program? What are you, how are you keeping in shape or what are you doing to get away from it all? Carl, without revealing personal secrets, I really think that the CEO's job today is very close to uh, training like an Olympian. You have to be as fit as an Olympian. To manage stress, essentially, you have to be in very good shape. So in the morning, every day, I take the dog for a 30 minutes walk around the block. I sit at my uh, desk at 8 o'clock in the morning. I have a lunch break, which is imposed by my wife. And in the evening, I do, um, I do some cardio exercise. I do spinning. And at weekends, I take the, the bicycle out and uh, I, I cycle a lot. And during the day, uh, I've discovered a fantastic exercise which is called uh, um, the cardio regulation. It's a, it's a moment of connection between the brain and the heart where 
it's a very short five, six minutes meditation where you connect your breathing with the, the rhythm of your heart. You do that two or three times a day. And I can tell you this is an, an incredible, very powerful solution. That doesn't take long, but it does help to cope, uh, especially when, when you have very stressful moments. You're listening to the CEO Series. I'm Carl Moore from Miguel. I'm speaking with Jean-Christophe Bedos, CEO of Maison Burks. Are you an introvert or more of an extrovert? If I don't answer, does it prove that I'm introvert or I'm probably an extroverted introvert? I think by nature I'm an introvert because I'm very happy spending time with myself. Uh, I, I never feel alone. I never feel bored. And I, I am probably an extrovert by the nature of my job because I have to communicate. I have to take care of people. And, um, and, and, and you need, obviously, to be uh, extrovert in order to achieve this. But, um, yeah, does it make sense, an extroverted introvert? Absolutely. We call that an ambivert to some degree, but that's another story for another time. You moved to Canada to become the CEO of Burks. How different is it being CEO as opposed to a senior executive as you were before? Is it a different game? I was CEO before um, uh, for uh, seven years in Paris. Um, I was the CEO of uh, Boucheron, the jeweler, great jeweler from Place Vendôme in Paris. I mean, it's a good question. I think I think one of the characteristics of, of being a CEO is that you have a lot of time when you're alone. You know, you have to manage solitude. That, I, I suppose the same feeling, this, a very strong sense of responsibility and being the person in charge, being accountable. You're not just accountable in front of the board. You, you're in, accountable in front of all the employees uh, because they are watching you. Uh, it's not risky. It's not dangerous. I don't see this as a risk. I just see this as a responsibility. It's a, it's a business responsibility, but it's also a social responsibility. So you had a wonderful job as CEO in Paris. What brought you to Montreal and to run Burks? We, I mean, we yes, that's um, why leave a beautiful place like Paris and a beautiful job location like Place Vendôme in Paris. It's a sense of um, adventure most certainly, but also my wife and I, we made all our decisions together and uh, our four, we wanted to expose our four children to something new, something different, um, and, and help them discover that the world is not just uh, about France. Uh, in general, you very well know that uh, the French like to think that God created um, you know, created the, the paradise, uh, and, and, and the French were part of this. No disrespect, but um, I think as parents, our responsibility is to expose our children to, uh, to as many <laughs> different facets of the world as possible. And, and frankly, it's not a very risky choice when we, um, when we decided that Montreal would be a great place. It's a bilingual city, and we were already a bilingual family because my wife is not French. It's a city with culture. It's a city of strong tradition of integration and tolerance. It's a city where there are fabulous universities, excellent education, and therefore, for a family like ours, we felt this is the, the, probably the best, the best place for our children to grow up. This is the CO Series. Jean-Christophe, thank you for joining us today. 
The show is produced by Marie Lebras. We'd also like to thank our technical producer, Brian Calliser. Thank you for tuning in the CO series. À la prochaine. For more info and full interviews, go to cjad.com now.